Well, good morning. Fellowship Bible Church is a church about transformed lives, leaving a godly legacy. And that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at through Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. We've been looking at the legacy of God throughout history to sovereignly save people of all nations, of all backgrounds, calling them to himself through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God's sovereign plan of salvation. And we've traced it so far in the past, the present, and the future. Romans 9 has been God's plan in the past. Romans 10 is God's plan in the present. And Romans 11 is God's plan for the future. We've seen a rejection story in Romans 9. We've seen a gospel strategy in Romans 10. And we've seen a faithful legacy in Romans chapter 11. If we can just trace what's happening here in the text, I want to ask you to open up to Romans chapter 11. We've seen in Romans chapter 9 that that Israel rejected God. Although God gave them away and he loved them and he called them to himself, they rejected him. We see that God was stubborn in his love for Israel. He continued to love them, but he would not allow them to limit his love. By ignoring him. So therefore he gave the gospel to all nations, to the Gentiles. And in Romans chapter 10, we see how this, this good news of Jesus Christ has spread to us. That whosoever, Jew or Gentile, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 11, Paul kind of crafts this picture of, um, has God given up on Israel? Has he stopped that plan that he worked in the past? And is given up on Israel. And Romans 11 asks that question. Paul asks that question. It says this. I ask then, has God rejected his people? And he answers it right away. He says, by no means. For I myself and am Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Let's pause there. This is a huge thing. Amidst a rejection, God continues to love God continues to call in verse 11. He says, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means? Again, he answers it rather through their trespass. Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Remember that word. God is almost making them envious of the blessing that he has given us as as Gentiles. And so Israel's envy is, is kind of like a son who's, who's a part of a wealthy family, who doesn't want his family, but he wants the wealth. So he goes to his father and he says, Dad, I, frankly, I want the inheritance. I want it now so that I can do what I want to away from this family with what you have. And the, and, and the father does the unthinkable. He actually takes all of his assets and he gives his son his portion of the inheritance. And the son leaves and he goes and he spends it all. And he gets a lot of friends and the friends love him because he has the money. But when the money runs out, he's left with no friends. He's left penniless with an inheritance that's gone. Back home, the father continues to be wealthy. The father continues to love. So he goes out and adopts another son. And to this son, he gives the blessing of his wealth to this son who comes into his family and he treats him and he loves him like his own. The picture is of this son who went and spent the inheritance. What does he think? What is he thinking? What is he saying? Is he saying, well, will will the father have me back? 
Will the father take me back in, even though I rejected him and went and spent his inheritance? Will he allow me back into the house? Romans 11 says, yes. Yes, he has. Yes, he will. He has not rejected you. He will bring you back. And so Romans 11 is a call for the prodigal to come back home. And the picture is, is that as Israel's envy would bring them to repentance, they would accept the person and the work of Jesus. There will be an Israel's acceptance of the Messiah. And as a result, the true son and the adopted son would live together in the same house. And there would be a blessing for the world because Jew and Gentile are united under the person and the work of Christ. You see, in verse 12 of Romans 11, it says, Now, if their trespasses means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion mean? This is talking about a future turning of the nation Israel. And by that, we're talking about native Israel. All those related through the lineage of Abraham. All the Jews who turn back to Christ. And receive him. This is looks forward to a future time when there would be a major turning within Israel for them to turn back to Christ and to trust him. We aren't shown when this will be. We just know that before Christ returns the second time, second coming, this will happen from this passage. And we look forward. And therefore, Paul says, God's not rejected. After all, I'm one. I'm a Jew who actually tried to kill the gospel, who tried to destroy Christians. He he was there when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death and he gave approval of it. And he said, yet one who is hardened has now been saved by the very gospel I tried to snuff out. So there's hope. And that's why Paul would say in Romans one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We're all united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look now at Romans eleven twenty eight and continue this discussion of the future of Israel. It says, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now become have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has been who has given him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever Amen. What does this mean? (laughs) Well, this has been a very difficult passage to understand. But what what Paul is really showing us is the legacy of who God is. He's trying to get his mind around it. He's trying to show us who is God so that we would depend and trust in him. 
And God is working out a legacy. A legacy is something that's established through time and experience in our lives. We all are leaving a legacy, whether or not you realize it. You are leaving a legacy in your family. And rather than, you know, standing in fr- up in front of a, a family or reunion saying, I am a loving father and I am faithful and I am kind. What you really a legacy is something that's not just taught. It's caught by your family. Have you ever wondered what kind of legacy you're leaving in your family? What would your children say about you? What's your legacy that you're leaving? Whether or not you want to do it, they're already catching a legacy from you. It'd be good to have conversations with your family about what kind of legacy you're leaving and what God is teaching us through how he's dealt with Israel and how he's dealt with the Gentiles, us, and how he's brought us together through the gospel. He's giving us his legacy. He's teaching us what a godly legacy is. And because our church is all about transformed lives, leaving a godly legacy, we want to know what a godly legacy looks like. So this passage gives us 10 values of a godly legacy that we not only see in God, but we want to reflect in our own families. Let's take take a look at the first one. Look at verse 28. We see that God's legacy for eternity will be his love over our rejection. Look at verse 28. It says, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Why did he say that? Because in Paul's time, the Jews rejected the gospel. They opposed it. They persecuted those who taught it. But then let's continue to read. But as regards to election, they are beloved. Underline beloved there. They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. On the other hand, the Jews were chosen. They were the special people of God, following a lineage of worshipers of God throughout the history of Israel. What we see is God's stubborn, faithful, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love throughout Israel's history. His legacy is he loved them. He loved them. Even though they rejected him, he loved them. Romans chapter 10 ends with, All day long I have held out my hands to a rebellious and stubborn people. This is the picture we have of God. Loving. It amplifies what Paul said in Romans 5, 8, that he said, God demonstrated his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, before we accepted God, he loved us. Christ died for us. That's the picture we get of God's love. So how does that look in your legacy right now? Based on your actions over this past week, can you look back at the wake of this week and say, I was loving? Would your children say they were loving? Some of you are dealing with very difficult children who are not loving you back. So it's real easy just not to love them back or to to count the days when they may leave the home. And we kind of strategize. But are we are we loving? Sometimes love is tough love. But do your kids see in, in everything you do, do your friends see you? Do you, people you work with, do they see a loving person? See, that's why we need God to teach us how to love. Because our human love is what you give me, I'll give you back. And it waits for someone to love us. And, and then we try to replicate that back to you based on what we think you deserve as a result of our love. That doesn't work. It's not working. 
We need the love of God. We need to see, see it that when lo- someone is difficult to love, what it's like to love. And our, our, the depth of our love grows when we love, when we forgive people who don't deserve it. See, that's the picture of God's love. That's why love is transformational. It's not normal. It's transformational in our lives when we reflect that kind of love. Secondly, we see uh, that God's legacy for eternity will be his promises over our failures. Look at verse 29. It says this for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. We will celebrate for eternity that God's promises were true. Paul is saying what God said he would do, he will do. Trust me. We are we are convinced that what God is a God, that God is a God of his word. In his commentary on the book of Romans, John Stott directs us to a passage in the Old Testament, Numbers 23, 19, to remind us of this. Listen to what he quotes. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken or promised and will he not fulfill it? Those are all rhetorical questions. Of course he will. Why? Because he is a God of his word. And we as people, the people of God, are to bank our lives on the promises of God. Because throughout history, we will, throughout eternity, we will go, what God promised? Yeah, that happened. In a hundred years from now, when all of us are dead, unless there's some incredible plan to, to save us through health, or Christ returns, we will stand before the presence of God and we will say, God was true to his word. I'm alive in Christ because God promised me that. I'm uh, restored completely. God completed his justice and his incredible mercy to me. Life is even better than Eden. Why? Because God promised and said it would be. We're going to be celebrating that because God is a God of his promises. Are you? Are you a person who keeps their promises? Are you a person who keeps their vows, their commitments? See, that's the legacy we want to leave. We want to leave as a person who's people of the word. Why? Because God is a God of his word. And we reflect him in all of our relationships. Don't you think it would be short circuited if we were involved in lying Or not keeping our word. And yet we served and tried to reflect a God who kept his word. See, it's just intuitive that as we know a God of his word, we become people of his word. Thirdly, for God's legacy for eternity will be his faithfulness over our faithlessness. Isn't that a proof text in the nation of Israel? They have over and over when they turned away from God, they were called Faithless. Romans eleven thirty verses through thirty two. It says this: Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient. In order that by the mercies shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that He may have mercy on all. Let's talk about several things in this passage. It seems somewhat confusing, but basically think of a ping pong match. Israel's salvation has come, uh, went from Israel back to God. They didn't want it. So God served it through Christ 
to the Gentiles. And Gentile salvation will make Israel envious. So Israel's belief will bring a blessing to the world. So God's plan of salvation goes from Israel to the Gentiles, from the Gentiles to Israel, and from Israel back to the Gentiles. We all become one big happy family in the family of God through Jesus Christ. Paul has gone through great lengths to establish there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. From being sinners to receiving salvation. As they have both been in disobedience, they can also receive the mercy of God. This is what he means on all, that concept of all. Some have taken this passage and said in more of a universalistic or universalism as a theology that everyone can just find their way to God. As long as we're sincere, we can find their way to God. But it doesn't match up with anything that Paul's written up to this time or anything that God tells us about salvation. Salvation is a free gift through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's open to whosoever believes. It's open to all, to everyone who believes. But it is, it is very exclusive in the person of Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We're, we're saved only through Christ. But it's to whosoever believes. Very inclusive in the call but exclusive through the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is what he's calling. He's, he's calling them the Jew and Gentile. All can believe now. And that is the plan of God. Why? Because God is faithful. He is faithful. And we look to be involved in the mission of advancing the gospels, gospel to Israel, to native Jews, that they might turn. Why? Because God is a faithful God. How do we become faithful here in life? How are we faithful and committed? We follow the legacy of God in our lives. Another thing in verse 32, it says this. Or 33, excuse me. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. See, God's legacy for eternity will be his wisdom over our foolishness. Paul has spoken about the riches of God so far in the book of Romans. In chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about the riches of God's kindness and patience. In chapter 9, 20, uh, verse 23, he talks about the riches of God's glory. In chapter 10, verse 12, he talks about the riches that he gives to all who call upon him. But here he's talking about the riches of his wisdom. The wisdom of God being rich in wisdom. You know, that's one of the things I really pray for every day. God, I need your wisdom. And what wisdom does is when the light and the reality of who God is comes into your life, you change your life to reflect the reality of who God is. If you want to tick people off, you call them to the wisdom of God when they're living apart from the wisdom of God. In ministry, that's where I get people really upset with me. It's when I call them to what God wants for them, but it's different than how they're living right now. And the, the reality is, is we love the messages that kind of, you know, we, we all agree with. We go, yeah, that's how, that's, that's what everyone around me needs to hear. Yeah, but second I target something in your life, you go, man, the guy's preaching way too long today. 
We do that because we don't like to be called out because many times we can be foolish. Just to be honest with you, I can be foolish when the light of the reality of who God is or what he wants for me is different than how I'm living. I want to change reality to match my lifestyle. And you know what? At that point, I move from God's wisdom into foolishness. And if I let foolishness brew in my life, I actually don't want him anymore. And I go to evil. I want to snuff God out of my life. And walk away from him and destroy those who are following him, at least in, in, in precepts around them, which you hold to be true. And so we're called to the wisdom of God. It's kind of like throughout eternity, we're going to be going, yeah, God, you were right. That was true. That was wise. It's kind of like the adolescent when they, you know, right now, the adolescent whose dad says, you know, yeah, I think you ought to do this. And you go, yeah, right. I remember those times when I was 16 and 17 years old and I would do that with my dad. But now that I'm 46 and I'm raising adolescents, I go, yeah, yeah, dad, you were right. We all know that. Why? Because we have we're, we're wiser now than we were at 16 and 17. And what dad was saying, we realized, no, you weren't demented, dad. You were right. You were wise. And throughout eternity, we're going to do that. Yeah, I kind of snuffed it, Chad, on earth. But now I realize you were wise. And now we have an opportunity. We're called into people to know the wisdom of God and apply that in our lives. So we go, yes, of course, God, I will do that. I will follow you, even when it's difficult. Because God's legacy wants to be reflected in our lives. We want to be people who reflect the wisdom of God. God's legacy for eternity will also be his justice over our fairness. Look at verse uh, 33, I believe it is. Yeah, it says, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. When we talk about God's justice over our fairness, we're talking about, do we get what we deserve? You see, God is just and he's right in all he does. And when something bad and unfair happens to us, we can trust that God's justice will win in that matter, even if we don't get revenge. And we're called not to be people of revenge. We're called to be people who trust the God of justice. And in reality, God is not fair. If he were fair, we would get what we would deserve. And if we got what we deserve, we'd all get hell. We would. But because God is just, when Christ died on the cross, he died so that, that, that he would take the wrath of God on the cross. All of God's justice on my life and yours for our sin was placed on Christ on the cross. He paid the price. He took it for us. And as as uh, Paul writes, he said he became the one who is just, but also the justifier of those who believe in him. And so Jesus was perfectly just and God was righteously just in taking it on on Christ for our sins. But it wasn't fair. If you think that God has to be fair with you. Or that he owes you fairness, you will usually then move that to jettison you into performing with God, doing works that you think, okay, I did this for you. Now you owe this to me. I went to church this week. 
you owe me a better return on my taxes this week. Or we just move right down the line and we think God owes us. That's that's a gospel of fairness. But the reality is God owes us nothing. And when I realized that his justice was fully given to Jesus, I can receive his righteousness simply by trusting because that is a gift to me. You know, we can trust God in unfair circumstances with immoral people in our lives, even those who defeat us. As Paul would write to a church in Rome that it wouldn't be much longer until a wicked Caesar would lead would would lead Christians into an amphitheater to be publicly displayed, fed to lions, ripped apart by gladiators. And and what would the church be called into? Let's rise up and defeat Rome. Was that their prayer? No, they had to trust. They had to trust in a God who would say, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's exactly what he'll say to us in Romans chapter 12. I'm giving you a precursor to that where Paul would write, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Remember, it's the Lord who says, I will avenge. I will repay. When you are bent on revenge for people who hurt you. It will spill over into all the other relationships of your lives. Why? Because we have a really small anger tank. And that anger tank, once it gets filled on one person, usually spills over to other people's lives. It, it changes your disposition. It changes your words. It changes how you, you treat your spouses and your children. And revenge will eat your lunch. That's why we're called. No, trust it. We have the resources as followers of Christ to just trust people in the hands of God. Not with the spirit of, ha ha, God, you get them. You know, that's not the spirit that we're to do it. But God, I trust you that your work in my life will not be stopped from this tragedy that happened to me. The second you go and you put yourself into God's shoes and you try to seek revenge. The second I go into gossiping on someone who's hurt me to tear down their or assassinate their character is the time I lose. I lose when that happens. I become who I don't want to be. And that legacy that that person kind of wounded me with is something that I need to step away from and not repeat in my life. I need to give a legacy of God's justice. And therefore, I need to stand up for the poor and those who are exploited and those who are abused because God's heart is justice. And as much as it depends on me, I'm going to be someone who champions the underdog in our society. Because God is a God of justice. But there's going to be a point where I can't get even and you can't get even either. And we have to trust in the justice of God. Well, there will be a time in eternity when we go. God was just in all he did. He made every wrong right. We trust God with that. We also are going to see throughout eternity God's legacy of his ways over our plans Look at how that last part of, of Romans eleven thirty three says it says and how inscrutable his ways, inscrutable his ways. 
What is the way of God? Boy, if there's ever a, a nation to look at on the God's ways, you would look at Israel. You can actually trace in the Old Testament their geograph- ge- geographical footprints through the wilderness after God rescued them out of slavery in bondage in Egypt and put them into, was preparing them for the promised land. And and you just see, if you were to trace their steps, their footprints, if you have a little Bible atlas in your Bible or you see a map of the wandering years, you'll see those. This will be their footprints in geographical locations. They just wander and they circle around. And we look, even today, we look, if we could trace that, we go, what in the world? See, our plans are the closest difference between point A and point B. Whoop, we like to think, God has the promised land for me, right? Boom, we go Egypt, we draw a line to the promised land, and we go, why aren't we there yet? And what was God doing? That was their plan. God's ways was a way to their heart first. Because he wanted to make a people that had a heart for him. And instead, these people melted down their plunder in Egypt and fashioned a golden calf after it and started to worship it. The very blessing that God gave them in gold, they fashioned into a competitive God who, as Scripture says, could not see and could not hear. You know, that whole picture is even just, it's not just shown spiritually, it's shown geographically. What if we traced your life geographically? Well, we traced it spiritually. You see, I've had times where I've wandered away, and that's been my progression spiritually. I've gone around in circles. And that's when I've been building my plans. I haven't been following the way of God. See, the way of God versus our plans. God is working out his ways. He wants us then to be available to say, God, would you, you're working out something today. I don't know where I'm, where my feet are going to take me today or what what opportunities you're going to give me. But I accept today as a day where your ways are going to be reflected in my life. Because throughout eternity, that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to look at. By the way, if someone could videotape your life and you could, you could just think about the future here in eternity. If you could just step back from your current life right now and get the whole picture and you could see what God was doing and what what he wanted to do and was doing his ways in your life. What would you what would you experience? I mean, some of us be fascinating videos, wouldn't it? We'd be going, what is happening there? What? Well, they intersected with Christ. Look at that. Look at that point. And at that point, people started to transform. Look at the changes. Look at the difference in their life. And now they're with Christ. And others would go, wow, they met Christ at a young age, but they're wandering. They Look at where are they? What's going to happen? Oh, God's winning now. Okay. And we look at that lives because we look at what God is doing. God wants us to be available if we just kind of stepped away from a second from the from seeing all the trees to look at the forest throughout eternity, God's ways are going to be celebrated through your life. Are you available to him no matter what you're in right now? Are you available to be used of God? Because we'll also see his mind over our reason. Verse 34 says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Great question. Paul asked that rhetorical question. Does God ever get so thick in in problems that he goes, oh, I don't know what to do. Joe, what should I do? No, he doesn't need me. 
He doesn't need my intelligence. He knows it all. His mind is greater than my mind. So many times we think that God should be reasonable. And by reasonable, we say he should under he should he should follow what I think is right. And so we build a we construct a a theology that's like this. I'd like to think that God is. And we build our whole theology that's self-informed, not scripture inspired. So we need to step away from that. So many of us think, if I can't think God would do that, if that doesn't seem fair to me, if that doesn't sound logical to me, then God wouldn't be that. Well, that is pride. That's arrogance. That's taking God off his throne and putting yourself on the throne. That's making your mind greater than his. And throughout eternity, we're going to say, his mind was so much larger. His plans were so much greater. His thoughts were so much grander than my own. That's why we need to say, at least with his mind, you are God and I am not. So lead me. That's why we're called as believers to take on the mind of Christ. So many of us don't even go into our thoughts. We just let our thoughts go wild. And so we go either into anxiety and worry or we go into entertaining fantasies in life. And the reality is our thoughts begin everything. That's why Paul calls us to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We're called even to to guard our thoughts and to set our minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. Why? Because that's a legacy God wants to give us. He wants to give us his mind, how he processes things, not how we reason through things. We're also going to see his generosity over our requests. Look at verse 35. It says, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Does anyone owe anything? I mean, does God owe anything to us? See, most of our prayers are requests for God to give us the things we want wrapped up in our reason, not the mind of Christ. Our plans, not the way of God. Our requests, not what God truly desires to give us. And God owes us nothing. See, when you realize that, when you realize that, you'll begin to really get the larger picture. God owes us nothing, but he desires to give us everything. And in Christ, he has. You see, when you have Christ, you begin to see what God truly desires to give you, which is far beyond our normal American prayers of God wants me to be comfortable. God wants me to be healthy. God wants me to be wealthy. God wants me to have influence. And it's all about me, what God can do for me rather than what we can align to him. And so God calls us all these things that we've talked about, all this legacy that's his. God wants to give that to us. So our prayers ought to look more like, God, help me be a loving person. Help me to love you and the people around me better than I ever have. That means God loves requests when we go, God, help me to be a man who keeps his promises. Help me to be a person who is faithful. Help me to be a person who is wise, who seeks justice on earth. Lord, give me your direction today, your ways, not my plans. I I just submit my plans to what you want to do. Lord, I need your mind. I need to think like you're thinking. Not just what would Jesus do, but how would God think about this in my life? Where we go deeper 
and we seek the riches of who God is because he desires to give us those things. So ask, ask, boldly ask, because God wants to give us his legacy in these things. And finally, God's legacy for eternity will be his glory over our accomplishments. Look at verse 36. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, God's legacy for eternity will be his glory. And by his glory, we're talking about his greatness, his influence, influence, his power, his working in us. He takes great delight in us. Where throughout history, even in in eternity, even thought of him will bring him glory. So the question comes down to is, what am I using? What am I using to prop up my life at the expense of reflecting the character of God? You see, someday we will all know him more. We will love him more. We will reflect him more. We will respond to his leading immediately without delay. And yet right now we're called to worship him in the now, even being limited to trust him and to try to reflect through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, his glory on earth. Now, I talk to a lot of people who look at their lives and they say, what can I do to reflect God's glory? I mean, I, I like to receive it, but I, I got nothing for him. He's, and, and, you know, it's tempting to look at the greatness of God and just to go, OK, that's really cool. I got nothing. And yet, yet through Romans 9, 10 and 11, he's saying this is the legacy of God. This is who God is. And this is what he wants to do in each of our lives. Does God take pleasure in you when you even on the simplest act of obedience, when you trust him? Of course he does. Case in point, when my son Jackson, who's now almost 16 years old, was three and a half in preschool, he made this for me. And he drew a picture of me and put gray hair on it 12 years ago. And I've forgiven him for that. But the greatest thing about this is what he wrote. And the teacher wrote it down as he quoted it. And he said, my dad is a preacher. He preaches every time when he goes to work. All he does is preach. (laughs) Some of you would agree, right? But he works sometimes. That's a great line, isn't it? I like to play games with him, like Candyland and Lucky Duck. That's all by Jack. You know, that's his that's his picture. And, you know, if Jack came to me today at almost 16 years and said, Dad, I need something for you. And it was this. I would go, come on. Is that all they're teaching you at T-High? I mean, the art classes there are beyond yarn art, aren't they? But you know what? I don't look at Jack like that. I have experiences with him now that I celebrate. This is Jack at three and a half. And I framed it. Because for that little boy at that time, Candyland and Lucky Duck made his day. And we got to do that together. And he celebrated time with dad. And uh, this is valuable to me. You wouldn't frame it. Jack's not your son, but he's mine. And uh, if the church was burning down, I'd go back in to get this because it's priceless to me. Your heavenly father right now 
And you may feel like a three-year-old, but your Heavenly Father, at the, the moment you trust Him and the moment you follow Him, takes pleasure and frames His work in your life. And throughout history, He will celebrate what His work through your life was able to do. He'll celebrate those times when you said, no, God, I need you with me on this one. I'm tempted to walk away, but I'm going to follow you here. When times got really tough, I walk, Lord, walk with me through this. I need your wisdom. God celebrates when his legacy is revealed in you. So today, today is different than eternity. In eternity, you're going to know him so much more. You're going to reflect him so much purer. but, But right now, reflect him. Your heavenly father frames, frames what you do on this earth because it's what he's been able to do through you. This is who God is. The God who's given us this type of legacy. And we're in the family through Christ, folks. So live as his children. Reflect him. Some of you are rewriting history through your lives because this has not been the legacy of your background. Rewrite it. With your heavenly father leading you and directing you and leave that godly legacy in your family, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, at your place of work, wherever God calls you, leave that legacy. Let's pray. Heavenly father, it is so good to reflect on who you are and the legacy you have given us. You've given this, this legacy is not something that's just shown up today. You've had it, you've had it affirmed and, and uh, repeated in the past, in the present, and now for the future. You never change. So, Lord, please draw our hearts to see the reality of you in our lives. And may we reflect you. For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be glory forever. Amen.